The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. I want to begin by telling you a story of a man who was out on a spring day, not unlike today. The sun was shining, well, at least where he lived. And um, as he was driving down the road, he's listening to the music, windows rolled down, you know, the warm air all around him, when all out of his periphery, he saw this very large rabbit beginning to run across the street. He slammed on his brakes, and even though he attempted not to hit it, he did hit it, and so feeling real bad, he pulled over to go back and see what he could do for the bunny. As he was there looking at the, looking at the bunny, wondering what he should do, didn't know whether he should move it or, or care for it anyway, a woman pulled up, and she came to him, and he explained to her what had happened, you know, that it was unintentional for sure, and that he felt really, really bad about it. She said, don't worry, I'll take care of this. She returned to her vehicle, dug around in her purse, and came out with an aerosol can. And she came over to the rabbit, and she bends over, and she takes this can, and she begins to spray it from the ears down to the legs, all the way down to his little bushy little tail. And all of a sudden, the rabbit jumps up, shakes himself off, looks around, looks to the right, looks to the left, makes sure that his ears are still straight, and then he begins to walk away. Every couple of feet, he turns around and he kind of gives a wave to the man and to the woman, goes a couple more feet and repeats it until he disappears out of sight. The man grabbed the lady and says, what's in that can? Well, she said, didn't you know this is hairspray? It, 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 look on the side. It says that it gives life to, to, uh, to lifeless hair and, and it'll help with a permanent wave. Yeah, I know. It's been a while since I've been with you. On the screen, you'll notice that the title of our Bible study is The Wrong People and the Wrong Zip Code. Mark chapter 7, verse 31, uh, through the end of the chapter. And as a matter of fact, next week we'll cover the opening verses of chapter 8. Read along with me, if you will, where it says in verse 31, Then he, that's Jesus, and the disciples returned from the region of Tyre. They went through Sidon. This means they would have uh, gone uh, north about 20 miles. To, and then came around to the Sea of the Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him, Jesus, to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Mark that in your mind. Jesus sighed. And he said to him, Ephatha. That is, and Mark's uh, translating for us here, what, what that means is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged or commanded the man uh, and those who were with him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously the, they proclaimed it. Verse 37, and will be done. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done, of Jesus they said, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I know it's been a couple of times since we've been in the Gospel of Mark, but I want you to think about this. Mark's sequence of events, and this is intentional, links the deliverance of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, the Syrophoenician woman who, who was up in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and the healing of this deaf man. He brings the two stories together. 
This represents a time where Jesus had intentionally gone away to be with his disciples, and yet the crowds, knowing who he was and having heard about him, they began to pursue him. And so then after months of being away in Gentile territory, he makes his way to the Decapolis. But I want you to think about this. What Jesus is trying to do is spend time alone with his disciples. And then he intentionally comes down to this area we call the Decapolis. In the healing of the Syrophoenician's daughter, I want you to see the mother's request that she would come to Jesus and make the request. And in the request, I want you to, to see a rare faith considering the fact that she lived in an area that was saturated by idolatry. Yet this woman heard of Jesus, but because of her distress, she comes to Jesus and she asks Jesus to deliver her daughter from demonic possession. Note, too, that her daughter was delivered by Jesus simply saying a word. Jesus didn't go and touch her. He didn't go and and speak to the evil spirit. He speaks the word in her presence, and immediately her daughter is delivered. This is something the mother had requested, evidence of faith outside of Israel. You're familiar with the great prayer. There's a line that we say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, We say this with regularity whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer. Let me read it to you. And lead us not into temptation, but listen to these words. Jesus is telling us how to pray, but deliver us from evil. And that's exactly what Jesus did in this situation with this Gentile woman and her daughter. The girl was was oppressed by evil, and Jesus rescued her. This is what he does. He delivers people from the influence of evil. And he delivers us, or he sustains us, in a world that oftentimes represents opposition. The man in our story tonight lives in the region of the Decapolis, literally the ten cities. Greek is for ten cities. Again, Gentile territory. This is familiar territory now because of the miracle with the woman and her daughter. As a matter of fact, the two, the two miracles speak to God's plan to reach those who were considered unclean by the Jews. Now remember I said that the disciples are learning in the same way that you and I are learning tonight. The disciples are learning by watching and listening to Jesus. And everything that they're learning would have been in opposition to what they've learned. The totality of their lives have nothing to do with Gentiles. They're unclean. And if you come in contact with them, they will render you unclean. Jesus, Jesus reveals the kingdom of God is very, very different than what they've learned. The background to both stories are Jesus' words to his disciples earlier in the chapter, verse 18, the latter part of verse 18, where Jesus says, do you not see? Don't you understand? He's a little impatient with them. He said, don't you realize that whatever goes into a person, he's speaking of, of them eating food with unwashed hands, richly unwashed hands, but he says, don't you understand that what goes in to a person that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile them. Cannot defile them. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us that at that point in time, Jesus was rendering all food for these Jews to be clean or lawful to eat. This is a big deal. It was hard to understand. Jesus overturns the emphasis of following outward form by focusing on our hearts. 
He is making a transition in his disciples' lives. He wants them no longer to focus on the external. He wants them to realize that the important thing is the condition of man's heart. He tells us that sinful acts, and there's a laundry list there. I'm not going to read them to you. Come from within a man. Come from within his heart. Are imagined first in the heart and then lived outwardly secondly. These are the things that make a man, Jesus said, unclean. So then the people of Syria, now the Decapolis, allows to see it, faith amid people who were considered outcasts, people who were considered unclean. Our story tonight reminds us, as, as did the story a couple of weeks ago, reminds us that absolutely no one is beyond God's grace. Let me say that again. Absolutely no one, regardless of what they've done, regardless of where they're from, remember, wrong people, wrong zip code, is beyond God's grace. And that's what Jesus wants you to know tonight. David Sharinga says, and the quote should be on the screen, Jesus reached out to the least, the last, and the lost. Jesus reached out to the least, the last, and the lost. Well, let's go ahead and look at our Bible study, The Healing of the Deaf man, verses 31 through 37, by first looking at Jesus' returns. Jesus is returning to Decapolis, verse 31. Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Jesus' itinerary is being led by the Spirit of God. Surely he is God in the flesh, but he, he is, during the course of these three years, he's leaning heavily upon spending time with the Father and following his will. So the itinerary reveals that he planned to return to the ten cities. I want you to know that it was an area immersed in Greek culture and Greek idolatry. The result of Alexander the Great's conquest hundreds of years earlier. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that this land was allocated to the tribe of Manasseh, belonged to the Jewish people. And as we look here in, in a moment, Jesus' favorable re reception was rooted in an earlier visit. You remember the man that was delivered from legion. How when Jesus and the disciples, likely at nighttime, stepped out of the boat, they stepped into an area that was, was the tombs. It was a, a cemetery. And out of one of the tombs came this man. And he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet in submission. In submission. And then Jesus interacts with these, these demons, or it seems to be a spokesman called Legion. And then once delivered, this man spread his story throughout the Decapolis. That's where Jesus has returned to. I want to read to you from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, same Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. So this is a, Mark was recording here Jesus leaving the area because those who lived there asked him to leave. They said, you have to leave, you have to go. And so as he was getting into the boat or returning into the boat, this is Jesus. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him or might go with him, might leave with him, might get into the boat with him and become one of his disciples. Verse 19 is, is, is telling. And he, Jesus, did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went, this is the man, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone who heard him marveled. Jesus is leaving because he's been requested to leave. The man begins to tell his story in every one of the ten cities, which is why Jesus is well-received in our story tonight. Before we move on, I want you to think about this. The fact that Jesus returns to the Decapolis reminds us of God's persistence in reaching the lost. You know, there are those times when maybe you have an opportunity to share your story. Now, the hero of your story is not you. The hero of your story is Jesus. But you have an opportunity to tell somebody what's happened to you, that, that you know, you're, 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 you're reading your Bible now, and your life is beginning to change. And they may say something, well, that's good for you, and, 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 but it's not for me. Or maybe their rejection is a little more uh, obvious than that. And you leave that situation feeling sad and maybe a little disappointed. The story tonight, I want you to see that in Jesus returning to the Decapolis is that Jesus will return again and again to minister to those, even to those who've rejected him. But the, the situation's very different. Because this man whose life had changed, who desired to follow Jesus, but Jesus sends him back, why, his life has borne fruit in the area. One more thing. Look with me at Jesus' reaction to the man. We've already read through this. So I want to highlight verse 34, and then we'll, we'll jump into the next section. In verse 34, it says, And looking up to heaven, this is Jesus, And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Jesus sighed. God in the flesh sighed. The same, the same Jesus who would tell Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip, if you want to know what God is like, watch me. Listen to me. Jesus sighed. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus is about to heal this man. He, he's about to give him the ability to hear. He's about to give him the ability to speak. And yet, right before he speaks, he sighs. It it would be as though he took a large breath and just... (sighs) I want you to remember that. Again, he knows he's about to heal the man, so then why the emotion? In the Greek, the word is stenazo, which means to groan or to express, listen, to express sorrow. Sorrow over what, Danny? Jesus gives us a glimpse into God's reaction to man's suffering. On uh, Monday, I had been asked by a family in the church to come up to uh, Riverside National Cemetery for military honors for a, a father of this friend of mine who had passed. You know, I arrived there and the family, you know, there were some who were embracing and some who were weeping. And some who were just simply quiet, you know, looking up into the blue sky. From the cemetery, if you look up to the San Bernardino Mountains, they're covered with snow. It's actually a striking scene. And over to San Jacinto, the same, the same view. And you have these people who are sad over the loss of a loved one, a husband, a dad, a grandfather. 
And we wonder, what does God do in those situations? He sighs with you. He's quiet with you. He weeps with you. We have a God who enters into our sorrows. On the screen, you'll see this, uh, this statement, Jesus sighed in protest of mankind's suffering. When man suffers, Jesus protests through this sigh. Now, before we get going into verse 32, where we see that Jesus groans, and we'll talk a little bit more about the story, I want you to know that the story is unique to Mark's gospel, that only Mark's gospel holds this story, and likely because this story has such a great impact upon Peter. Let's go ahead and read verse 32. And they, we don't know who they are, perhaps family or friends, brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him, Jesus, to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd, privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven again, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. First, I want you to see that Mark tells us that there was a they, that they knew this man. who They knew that he could see, likely had a heightened sense of seeing, of smelling, but he couldn't hear. His world was quiet, silent. They come and they take him. They hear Jesus is in the area. And their hope, whoever they are, their hope is to bring him to Jesus and for him to experience healing. So we're told in verse 32, they brought the man who was deaf. And secondly, we hear that they begged or implored Jesus, implored him, they begged him to lay his hands on them. Again, perhaps family, friends, they have concern for the man. They want something that's good for the man. And remember, we're in pagan territory, idolatry. And yet there is, listen, there is goodness in these people because they're created in the image of God. Even when they're the wrong people, even when they live in the wrong zip code, we see God's image being lived through them in that they cared for the man. The idea of their begging God captures the idea of you and I praying. This is a bit of an encouragement when we see that, that whether it's a loved one who's ill or a loved one, a relationship that has been broken, and whenever we have our time of prayer or whenever we think of the situation, we stop and we ask God for help. It reminds us, again on the screen, persistence in prayer is par for the course. That God allows us to come to him again and again and again with that request, with that asking for help. Listen, because he realizes that as we come to him, the situation will change, but so will we. Next, I want you to see the manner of Jesus caring for the deaf man. In this culture at this time, the, man, the man's condition would have rendered him, would have rendered him 
being looked down upon. But look at the way Jesus treats him. Again, Jesus' manner. Verse 33, and taking him aside privately. What Jesus does is he cares enough about the man to pull him away from the crowd. Privacy marks the interaction. The way I see it is Jesus gives him dignity to someone who was minimized by others, by the culture, by the community. Jesus enters into a silent world. So first he pulls him aside and then he enters into the man's world. Verse 33, it says that he put his He put his fingers in his ears. This would have required that Jesus would have faced him. Nobody else would have faced him this way. Nobody else would have touched him. Jesus comes and he takes his, likely his index fingers, and he puts it into his ears, and he's communicating to the man. He's telling him, I know that your need is to hear. And Jesus comes to you and to me, And he looks us in our eyes. And he looks beyond our eyes and he looks into his heart and he says, I know what you need. I know what you need. That thing that you and I hide from others. The things, those things that you and I maybe push off to the side. He looks into our eyes, he calls us by name, and he speaks to us. And so he's speaking to this man. This may seem a little unsanitary. I'm sure that as we read through it a number of times now that it would have rankled some of you, but especially at a time when we're so sensitive to the spreading of germs. Jesus then takes the saliva from his mouth, he puts it on his fingers, and he reaches in and touches the man's tongue, telling him, yeah, I know, I know, it's it's rough, right? But he's, he's communicating to the man that I know that you cannot speak. I know that you can't hear. I know that you can't speak. Jesus enters into his world. 34, verse 34. He is engaging with the deaf man even more. So then Jesus, standing in front of him, looks up to heaven, telling the man that Jesus is looking to God. Jesus is now looking to God. The ear, fingers in the ears, Saliva on the tongue with a touch, and now Jesus looks to God, specifically to the God of Israel. Matthew's gospel omits this story from his gospel. As I said, the story is unique to Mark's gospel. But he summarizes, Matthew summarizes Jesus' time, this time in the Decapolis, with these words in Matthew 15, 31. Listen to these words. The people were amazed when they saw the the mute speaking and the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing. Listen listen to what, what Matthew says. And they, the people of the Decapolis, praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. And lastly, again, we revisit this idea of Jesus sighing, revealing that his appeal to the Father was expressed with passion and emotion. We feel passion and emotion for people that we love. This last Sunday, I celebrated my, one of my granddaughter's um, 17th birthday. 17 years. On Palm Sunday at that time, 
I remember going down to Scripps with my wife. The idea for a parent is always to arrive prior to the child's birth. In this case, um, she had already been born. And so I'm preparing myself. It's, it's Sunday, and so I got out of church, and we drove down there, and we're all excited about the delivery of this new little one. And as I'm walking down the hall, uh, there's a window and, and, and I recognized that my son's back, my son-in-law's back was to me, was uh, facing me. And as I'm walking down the hall, looking at him, he turns around slightly and I see that he's holding the new baby. Listen, and I wept. I started crying right there and I'm thinking, where does this emotion come from? Because even before I've met her, I loved her. And so when we see Jesus showing emotion, he wants you to know that he knows you and he loves you and whatever you're going through, listen to this, he experiences the pain that you experience. I oftentimes say, especially in a memorial service, our God is not distant, he is near. And I think we would be surprised to know how near he is. And so we're told that he shows this emotion. Because I believe the emotion comes from Jesus, even though he knows he's going to heal the man, right? We've We've already said that. Jesus saw mankind's pain in his suffering, the result of Adam's sin. And so he says, Ephatha, Aramaic, for be open. Now notice this. The miracle is creative. God speaks, Jesus speaks, and hearing becomes normative. Listen to the nature of the healing. He hears immediately, and he hears perfectly. That's the terminology it's used to describe this. But he not only hears, he begins to speak. I can't imagine what his friends who saw him imagined. There's no... There's no speech therapy. There's no time to learn the language. Immediately, his ears hear perfectly. And he speaks perfectly because Jesus' command, be opened, allows the creative power of God to recreate this man's ear hearing ability and speaking ability. The idea of his tongue being re- is of his tongue being immediately released or liberated from the bondage to silence. Ironically, as soon as the man starts speaking, Jesus tells him to be silent. It's, it's, it's like he was silent and couldn't speak, and then when he could speak, Jesus tells him to remain silent. In verse thirty-six, Jesus charged them. That would mean the man and his friends, whoever brought them to Jesus, to tell no one. And I kind of feel for the guy, you know? However old he was, wanting to speak, not being able to speak. His silence always making him feel a little more different than anybody else. Like there's really, really something wrong with him, not only physically, but spiritually. And then he's been given here by this, by this rabbi the ability to speak. You would say, let him go for it. You know, let him talk. I know there are some times when my children were young and I'd go through a a big city like Los Angeles and I'd say, you guys be quiet, I'm all stressed out. But you would want to let this man speak. I mean, any of us would say, go for it, brother, you know, let it it rip. Jesus says, no, you're to be quiet. Verse 
But the question is, why keep silent? We'll deal with this and then we're almost done. Think about this. The man's message was that Jesus had healed him. And this is important for us to know. There's more to the message. The healing, absolutely. It identifies Jesus as Messiah, identifies Jesus as God in the flesh. But there's more to the story. It's almost as though his story was incomplete. Danny, what do you mean by that? The gospel is that Jesus would come and minister for three years, but then he would, right, Easter Sunday, right, he would be, he would be crucified, he would be buried, and he would rise again. That's the totality of the gospel. And so Jesus presses pause with the man. The miracle was to be celebrated, but the miracle spoke to who Jesus was and his deity. Miracles always point to Jesus. Remember I said earlier that Jesus is the hero of our story. Jesus is the hero of your story. Eric Metaxas in his book entitled Miracles, What They Are, Why They Happen, and How They Change Your Life, writes, if miracles exist at all, and his argument is that they do, they exist not for their own sake, but for us to point us towards something beyond. No, to point us to someone beyond. The miracles speak of who Jesus is. The totality of Jesus' message is that he would die for sin and then be raised again then some would say, why would Jesus tell this former, the former demoniac to tell others, then restrict our formerly deaf friend from sharing his story? Timing is the factor. The first man, the demoniac, was a missionary of sorts who would bring the good news to the Decapolis. His story would be personal, preparing the Decapolis for Jesus' second coming at that time. But remember, this aspect of Messiah's coming was only one act of his coming. It was only one part of it. See, Jesus tapping the brakes here on his popularity until the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is why he told this man to remain silent. We close with verse 37. And this is the declaration of the Greeks or the Gentiles, where they say he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We're told that the people were struck with amazement. They were struck with a sense of wonder or awe as to who, the, because considering the miracles that Jesus was performing, performing, they were considering, who does this mean this man is? Which is perfect. When it says that he's done all things well, it says that he's done things, everything perfectly, completely, and immediately. In closing, I'll read to you two passages. The first from Genesis, because what these people are talking about send us back to Genesis, the creation story, Genesis 1, the last verse, 31. The result of God speaking creation into existence out of nothing, it says, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. At the conclusion of each day, it says, and evening and morning, and it was good. And yet, at, on the sixth day, it says, very good. And here we go. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
So that's the first thing that Jesus' ministry reminds us of, that Jesus is very good. I want you to know that here tonight, that Jesus in your life is always very good. Why is that important to know? Because when we go through tough times, the enemy will come and he will cause us to question the goodness of God's character. But what we see tonight is that he does all things well. Jesus is always good. Jesus is always good even when I do not understand the pain that I'm going through. But I know from tonight that he enters into my pain, he, su- he sighs at my suffering, and that he's good. Secondly, in Isaiah 35, there's a promise of the Messiah's coming, that his first coming and his second coming. Again, Isaiah 35, beginning in verse, uh, verse 5. Then the, speaking of Messiah's coming, then at that time the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and then listen to this, and the tongue of the mute man sing for joy. At this time I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read a passage from Mark regarding our communion, receiving communion together. Uh, any of you who uh, need the communion elements at this time uh, during my prayer, if you just raise your hand, somebody will, will provide uh, the elements for you, and then we'll take them together. Let's go ahead and pray. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for you reminding us that you're with us in our suffering and that you are good. Your character, your nature is good. And that the evil that's represented in this world, Lord, does not come from you. It comes from the fall. It comes, it comes from the God of this world, small g, the ruler of this world. And so, Father, tonight, we will once again remember Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, even those who are joining us online. I pray, Father, that you will minister by your spirit life to us. Lord, you have called us into the light spiritual truth. You call us into the light. And you call us out of death into life. Into life. Into the light and into life. And you call us Jesus in your goodness. You look us face to face and you call us into liberty to being set free from the oppression of evil. You call us into the light, truth. You call us into the life, spiritual vibrancy, knowing you. And you call us into liberty. That the chains and the shackles of the lies of the evil one break and fall to the ground. So Lord, now we worship you through communion. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.